Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that usually takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. But this is a special weekend edition, comprised of highlights from an Axios event held this past Friday in Boston, featuring my interviews with General Motors CEO Mary Barra, Tusk Ventures founder Bradley Tusk, and 11-time NBA All-Star Chris Bosch. I hope you enjoy, and we'll talk again on Monday. Mary, you started your career at General Motors, correct? You, you didn't just come to it as a CEO you know, in the middle of your career. You were there early. As a co-op student. So when I was 18 years old, I started working at General Motors, actually in the assembly plant. General Motors, what you guys are trying to work towards, the mission you've put out is zero crashes, zero emissions, and zero congestion. Mm -hmm. And the first one is zero crashes. I assume you're talking autonomous vehicles here, correct? Right. Well, we're on a journey to get there. We really believe it. If you think about the auto industry in general, 100 years ago, we gave people freedom and mobility by providing vehicles. And through that 100 years, and there's still countries today where people aspire to have that vehicle, to have the freedom of movement. But with that over the hundred years has come crashes, has come impacts to the environment, and then has come the frustration of, that comes from congestion. We believe now the technology exists to get each of those. And from a zero crashes perspective, autonomous plays a huge role because 94% of fatalities in the United States alone are caused by human error. So if we can use autonomous vehicles and eliminate that human error because autonomous vehicles don't drive in prayer, they pay attention, they follow the laws, that's a huge benefit for for humanity. Do you envision that AVs are going to drive alongside human operators? Do you envision a situation in which for a while we're going to have separate lanes or separate roads? No, I think right now we're doing our development and testing of autonomous vehicles in downtown San Francisco and the autonomous vehicle is completely integrated on the roads with vehicles being driven by uh, humans. How dependent in the long term is that going to be on the cities themselves having things like sensors in the road, et cetera? Or is that a nice to have but not a need to have? It's a nice to have. I, I think it will continue to expand and, and allow even more efficiencies in how people move from point A to point B. But right now, the, all the sensors are on the vehicle. And you know we're using cameras, radar, LIDAR, fusing that technology together to really give us a precise picture of exactly what's happening and, and everything that's going on around you. Obviously, this isn't autonomous fleets, but when you think of things like ride-sharing, whether it be Uber or Lyft, et cetera, there's some studies that suggest that they've added to congestion because you just have so many of them out there. Do you believe that there's going to be a way to optimize the number for congestion? I think you're going to look and you're going to see there's still going to be shared autonomous vehicles and you're going to be able to move together more efficiently. I think it's going to depend how cities come together and how they define it. But I wouldn't say there's equations that there's going to be a ton more, there's, that there's going to be less. I think at some point we're going to have to look and say what's the right mix to create the right environment. But just like today, people ride the bus, people share rides, people drive their own vehicles, people carpool. There's going to be a, an economic piece of it as well that's going to drive behavior. A couple years ago, you guys made an investment, a large investment in Lyft. And and then you bought Cruise, which was a self-driving technology company. And it looked like you had three legs of stools. You had the way you make cars, you had the automated driving, and then you had called the fleet management the data of Lyft. And then you did a deal with SoftBank, who is a huge investor in Uber. And a lot of people, including me, and I wrote this, so tell me I'm wrong, said, oh, wow, that is them completely bailing on Lyft and saying that didn't work. What is your current view toward Lyft? Well, I think, first of all, I have a lot of respect for John and Logan. And together, working together, we learned a lot. We still, with our Maven Gig product, are providing vehicles for Lyft drivers. And so what we've said as we go forward, and when we, you know, we've said we'll deploy the technology in an urban environment, a rideshare environment next year, we've said we're either going to do that on our own, we're going to do that with one or more partners. So we're keeping our options open right now. Of every car you've ever driven, what's your favorite car ever to drive? Oh, it's probably the Corvette. Thank you very much, Mary Barr. <laughs>
Bradley, you've had, for those who don't know you, honestly, kind of a ridiculous career. You ran one of Mike Bloomberg's mayoral campaigns. You became deputy governor of Illinois. You advised Uber in the early days of its regulatory fights, and somehow they couldn't afford your fee, so they instead said, could you take stock? And you said yes, yes. which was, worked that seemed to okay. work out well. What's the main thing you learned about politicians as a general characteristic? Yeah, so with the exception of Mike Bloomberg, 99.9% .9 of politicians are desperately insecure, self-loathing people who can't live without the validation of running for office. Is that true of staffers as well or no? It's more true of the politicians sometimes as staffers. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, and why that's relevant is if you're me now, right, and you're investing in startups and in regulated industries and then you're running campaigns to legalize those startups, whether it's sports betting or scooters or ride sharing or whatever we're working in, you really need to figure out what ultimately motivates the decision that the person you need to convince, what do they care about, right? And the reality is they care about winning the next election or advancing to the next office. You had to make a decision when dealing with regulators, and, and for those who don't know the basic story of Uber, it was they just kind of went into markets and then got yelled at by politicians and, and, and taxi unions there, that you had to decide whether you should do that and just beg forgiveness. Talk to me a little bit about that. Is that a smart model, or is it something that worked it, it, then and doesn't now? It's very context-dependent, right? So with Uber, the taxi cartel, and it was true here in Boston and New York and Philly and L.A. and Chicago and everywhere else, is a really rough industry. They give a lot of money to politicians. And if we didn't fight all the way through, we were never going to exist. So yes, we got a reputation at Uber for being heavy-handed and rough, but I'd rather have that reputation and exist than not exist in the first place. So in Uber's case, it was the only way to break through. But for example, I'm an investor in FanDuel. I know DraftKings is the local company here, but and we're gonna pursue sports betting licenses now in almost every single state. We're not just gonna like start taking bets without having a license, right? So really Although, wait, but FanDuel and DraftKings both did that. Sure. They, they said it wasn't before we got involved. Before we got, they said it wasn't gambling, but of course it was gambling. Or games of skill, Dan. Games of skill. <laughs> games of skill. Yeah, games of skill. Just like at a carnival. You worked in the Bloomberg administration. You ran his final campaign for mayor. Tried to nope. get him to run for president in 2016, tried and, failed, and you yeah. tried and failed. Yeah. Is he done? Could he run in 2020? I mean, he could run. It's certainly for him. To I don't announce. mean could he theoretically I run. Mean, is there a good chance of him running? I mean, I think that, look, Mike Bloomberg is an independent, and that's what I love about him. But we're in a moment right now where people are really partisan, right? Either you're a Trump supporter and you feel very passionately that way, or you hate Trump, which I would fall into that category, and you feel very passionately that way. So I think the path for an independent in 2020 is much, much harder than it was in 2016. Like, this is the first cycle where I've only ever given money just to Democrats, right? Because I just, to me, I, I can't in good conscience do it. Where normally I like to be bipartisan. So I just think people are so polarized right now that an independent in 2020 would have a very tough. Since you said you were an anti-Trump person, yeah. I'm gonna ask you the flip. You're running Trump's re-election campaign. Yeah. What's your main message? You know what, no American president in history has presided over a good economy and we're not in a ground war and lost re-election, ever. So it's not just your, what's well, your Well, that's message. not what he would say. I'm saying, what would, what would be no, your message? No, I mean, it depends. So you're, to your base, you're sticking with all the stuff you're already doing. But I think to the broader, because he needs to win people outside the base, it's ultimately, look, there's a lot of tumult in Washington, but it's a screwed up system and that's what it takes. The economy's great, unemployment's low, we're not at war, we have peace, we have prosperity. Ignore all the noise that you see look at your life in front of you, it's pretty good, keep it going. Bradley Tusk, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. 
So Chris, the first time we ever actually met was just backstage, but it's not the first time we've been in the same room. About maybe a year and a half ago, I am at a tech conference in Los Angeles, and I see you across the room. You kind of stand out in a tech audience crowd, and I said to the guy who I was standing with, I said, why is Chris Bosch here? And he looked at me and said, I don't know. So why was Chris Bosch there? You know, I've always been a fan of technology. I had been going to the uh, tech conference at uh, All-Star Weekend since, I want to say, 2006. It was always something that interests me. And I grew up in a house with technology. My father is a plumbing designer, and um, it just kind of bled down to us. He would Your always get equipment. mom ran a computer help store, like, right? Yeah, she ran a, it was called Computer Help, actually. And you obviously played basketball growing up. You were Mr. Texas, all, whatever it's called in Texas, yeah. the best ball player in Texas. Talk to me a bit about your experience growing up. You joined the computer graphics club and stuff in high school. Why was that important to you at that point when you clearly had something also extremely important that you were very good at going on? Well, I love doing it. And, and, you know, the funny thing about it was our practice didn't start. School was over at 345. Practice didn't start till 5 o'clock. I went to school in an area where there was a lot of trouble. And trouble was right there. All you had to do was walk right across the street. And I really wasn't interested in that. I wasn't interested in going off and then coming back on campus to practice. So I had to do something to take up my time. And I just enjoyed it. When you join a computer graphics club and then a minority engineering club, are you immune to peer pressure or does just no one say anything to you because you're you? I didn't say anything to anybody. It was kind of like a secret for a while. I'm a good sport. I love, you know, having fun. But if I would have told my friends, they would have killed me, you know, <laughs> so. I kind of kept that to myself. And it, You've been an advocate, an outspoken advocate for coding at early ages, <clears throat> high school too, but starting young. When you think back to your high school time and these kids today, has the perception around it changed? In other words, has the geek factor changed? Of course, yeah, you have, you're going to learn to code because you'd like to have a job someday. Yes, it's changed tremendously. I think, you know, at the time, what, you know, Google was around, but it wasn't like that. Yeah. Amazon was around, it was, but it wasn't like that. Social networking was still confined to the computer. It hadn't had the boom yet. And then I think right during that time, the uh, dot-com crash happened. So it just wasn't, it was like, yeah, I knew, you know, I knew they couldn't do what it took. So, it, it, you know, the buzz around it wasn't strong at all. Now, it's the cool thing. Is there someday going to be a group of kids sitting in front and say, Mr. Bosch, Mr. Bosch? Or, or can I give me a thought of what you want? <laughs> I, I'm thinking you know, years down the road, what, how do you want to take this and, and what does that mean to you when you talk about I'm this? not going to be teaching coding. I'm sure you guys are much more brilliant than I am. But I want to provide access to information, just any other sane person. Now, with the internet, you can pretty much learn and do anything. So I want to be able, I'm not going to teach. I'm not going to be at a blackboard and at a computer telling them how to do it. That, do we have blackboards? Do you have blackboards? I think, I don't know. I could Sorry. Be. But I just want kids to be able to know that they can access anything that comes from their imagination and be able to build things with that. Who's your best starting five ever? That's such a tough question. I man. know it is. That's why I asked. That's such a tough question because, one, I want to put me in there, but, you know... <laughs> I'll take you out for your sake. Like, I'll <laughs> but just I say, think, you, you know, Michael, Jordan, Kobe, LeBron, Wilt. Uh, no, 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 sorry, not no. Wilt. Uh, Kareem. I don't know. Yeah, I hear magic over there. <laughs> I don't know, man. I think that'll be enough. You can be in the five. You can already. be in the five. Yeah, you'll, you'll take put the me in spot. there. And it's, it's a tall team. I'm like the glue guy. I bring it all together. Chris, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate it.